Hello, I'm Caroline Jones, the Wellington College archivist, and it's great to be back again with another Out of the Archives podcast. Now, I would guess that most Jukebox listeners will not know that the college is lucky enough to possess an observatory, and inside it a high-quality Victorian telescope, both of which have recently been refurbished. So this time we're going to look at the history of the observatory and of astronomy here at Wellington. The first mention of an observatory at Wellington that I could find in the archives comes in 1876, when a letter to the Wellingtonian questioned the accuracy of the thermometer in the little observatory. Now, it's possible that that might refer to a weather station rather than a place for observing the stars, but personally I don't think so, because I don't think it's a coincidence that that letter comes three months after the appointment of a new teacher, Mr. Saunder, who had a great interest in astronomy. And certainly we know that a few years later, by 1882, Mr. Saunder was sharing that interest with the students, because in the Wellingtonian for May that year, the Natural Science Society report mentions an eager group waiting for a glimpse of the moon through Mr. Saunder's telescope, which he has promised if the night is a good one. Now, we don't know where the telescope was situated at that time, or even whether it was actually Mr. Saunders or a college one. But we know that there was one on the college site, and most likely a large, heavy metal assemblage, not portable like a ship's telescope, which is perhaps the first thing that we think of. Mr. Saunders was HM, first of the Harding and then of the Benson, so it's possible that he had the telescope somewhere near one of those. But it's just as likely that he had it set up somewhere near the site where it is now. That's between the maths department and the works and estates building. That's one of the highest parts of the college estate, so it would make sense to put it there. I mentioned the Natural Science Society. That was Wellington's earliest student society. It started in 1868. And it held regular meetings and lectures on all kinds of scientific subjects. And throughout the 1880s and onwards, a number of these were on subjects related to astronomy. The college was lucky to have two members of staff who were knowledgeable and enthusiastic astronomers. Mr Saunder, who I've already mentioned, and Mr Kempthorne, the first HM of what's now the Stanley. Kempthorne was a Wellington teacher for 36 years, retiring in 1903. He was a fellow of the Royal Astronomical Society and a founder member of the British Astronomical Association. He was particularly noted for his observations of the planets, and we know that at various times he gave lectures at Wellington about Mercury, Venus, Jupiter and Saturn, among other subjects. Samuel Saunder was also a teacher at Wellington for 36 years, retiring in 1912. He was likewise a Fellow of the Royal Astronomical Society and later its secretary, and a founder member of the British Astronomical Association, of which he later became president. In 1908, he became Professor of Astronomy at Gresham College, London, where he gave public lectures in addition to his regular job at Wellington. His main interest was in studying the Moon, and he was part of an important international project to map and to standardise the naming of the various features on the Moon's surface. When he began his work, most features on the Moon could only be located to an accuracy of about five miles. And through his work and that of others, over his lifetime that was reduced to an accuracy of around 200 metres. 
This mapping work involved taking photographs through the telescope, and several of his lectures at Wellington were particularly about that process. And it's a fitting tribute to him that there is now a crater on the moon named after him. Mr. Saunders had some sad events in his life. One of his children died in infancy, and his wife died in 1893, just a few days after giving birth to their younger son. When that happened, he gave up being HM of the Benson and moved to a house in Crowthorn, which is still there. And we know that there he set up a shed with a sliding roof in the garden as an observatory and bought a large telescope, which he installed there. It's a seven-inch refractor manufactured by Troughton and Sims, possibly not new at that time, but very good quality. Saunders retired in the summer of 1912, but quickly became ill and sadly died the same year. The following year, the college was given the opportunity to buy his telescope and quickly decided to do so. It's appropriate that they were able to fund this from the profits of the college shop, Grubby's, for which Mr. Saunders had overseen the accounts for several years. And so that is the telescope which Wellington has had ever since. We don't know what sort of building college had as an observatory up to this point, but a number of teachers and others quickly contributed funds to construct a suitable building in which to erect and house the new telescope. The First World War then intervened, and we don't hear much for a few years. But in 1918, another knowledgeable astronomer, Mr. Tancock, joined the teaching staff. He started using the telescope and giving talks on astronomy to the students, and soon there was a lot of interest. In 1919, a special astronomical section of the Natural Science Society was formed. And from 1919 to 1925, astronomy actually appears listed as a subject on the curriculum for some Wellington students. The 1922 college yearbook tells us that the telescope is now accurately adjusted and in good working order, and that a large number of boys make more or less use of it. The 1925 yearbook states, There are a number of boys who use the telescope and are keen enough to go up to the observatory and stargaze on frosty nights or chilly mornings. And what's more, it includes a photograph of a boy doing just that. In it, the observatory at that time appears to be a wooden building, rather like a spacious garden shed, but either with no roof or a removable roof because we see it in the photo open to the sky and with the telescope mounted in the middle of the floor. This interest in astronomy continued throughout the 1920s and 30s, supported by Mr. Tancock and another teacher, Mr. McNeil. Both were fellows of the Royal Astronomical Society. Tancock was the author of a number of textbooks on astronomy and editor of the original Phillips Star Chart, while McNeil designed a very useful mechanism for predicting when any particular star would be obscured by the moon. So with their encouragement, the observatory was used regularly. There were articles and lectures, and boys were able to take photographs through the telescope. The Second World War didn't stop those activities. In fact, it offered even better conditions for stargazing because of the blackout. In the archives, we have Mr. Tancock's notebooks for the 1930s and 40s, with his detailed handwritten accounts of the observations made every night and who was there to see them. And they tell us that the students were able to observe Saturn's rings, Jupiter and its moons, Comet Whipple, the Orion Nebula, and many other stars and star clusters. 
Mr. Tancock retired in 1946, but there was still plenty of interest in the stars, and in 1949, an astronomical society was formed, under another younger teacher, Mr. Watt. The Wellingtonian records that the object of the society is to make use of the seven-inch refracting telescope that college possesses which is housed in the small wooden hut between the gymnasium and the metal workshops. And again, that description refers to the old gym and places the wooden observatory close to the site of the present one. The society set about having the telescope dismantled and cleaned in preparation for installing it in a new purpose-built observatory. That is the brick building which we have today. The Wellingtonian commented that in view of the fact that college is the possessor of a telescope as valuable as any public schools, it seemed worthwhile to expend the money to house it properly. And the 1955 yearbook contains a photograph of the building during construction, and we're told that it's slightly to the east of the old site. The building's roof is a dome made of copper with a mechanical shutter which opens to give a view of the sky and the dome revolves to give access to the particular part of the sky that you want to look at. This copper dome was obtained from a similar observatory in the Midlands, which was being dismantled at the time. And we're told that it cost college £15 to buy it and £30 to transport it here. For some reason, completion of the building was delayed for a couple of years. The 1956 yearbook comments that the new observatory has lain derelict for the last 12 months and is a sorry sight, for it lacks both a roof and a purpose. Surely this building would be better employed as a home for our dispossessed telescope than as a target for the stones of local children. And the following year it was suggested that the building should either be finished or demolished. But in 1958 the work started again, and by 59 the telescope had been installed and was usable once more. So the Astronomy Society was quite active throughout the 1960s, making observations of the Moon and stars and submitting them to the British Astronomical Society. In 1970, the main lens of the telescope was repaired, and in 1972, the Astronomy Society was active enough to put on an exhibition in what was then the Ockinleck Room, it's now the Spiritual Room. Also during the 70s, the College's Astronomy Society formed links with a local society in Reading. In 1978, the observatory and telescope were sadly vandalised, but a happier event of that year was that physics teacher Nick England arrived to join the teaching staff. Mr England had himself been a student at Wellington in the late 1960s, and he took an interest in astronomy, and so with his encouragement and the hard work of members of the works staff and some students, the building and telescope were restored and made functional again. Amazingly, an old Wellingtonian called Peter Hemphill, who'd been at Wellington in the 1930s and whose photos of the moon through the telescope had been published in the 1936 yearbook, came back nearly 50 years later and repaired the telescope motor. So, with the encouragement and supervision from Mr England, the observatory was again used regularly by students throughout the 1980s and 90s. In the Wellingtonian of 1982, there's an article by Mr England describing the college telescope as magnificent and featuring new photographs of the moon's surface taken through it. Mr England also wrote an astronomy textbook 
And during the 1990s, several Wellington students actually took an O-level in astronomy. Mr England left in 1997. And since then, other teachers have taken an interest and have encouraged use of the observatory, but none of them has stayed at Wellington very long. And so for the last few years, it hasn't been very active. About two or three years ago, the Works and Estates Department started a new renovation of the building. They created a new pathway to it from the corner of the quad which houses the maths department. They got the sliding roof working again and cut back branches so that the sky could be seen better. We've also been very lucky in that two volunteers from outside the college, Christopher Taylor and Kevin Johnson, who used to work for the Science Museum, have got the telescope in working order again. I believe that there is still a little bit more fine-tuning to be done to the lens, but nevertheless, it can be used. At present, Mr Hethcott is in charge of using the observatory, so do get in touch with him if you'd like to know more. It would be great if more students and other members of staff could get involved so that the observatory can be more active once again. That's all for today, but I hope to be back next half-term to look at another aspect of the College's history. Caroline, thank you so much for all of your wonderful insights as ever. It's a pleasure hearing you talk about these wonderful things throughout college history. Uh, as ever, when I listen to you, questions seem to pop into my head. Uh, and one of the things you mentioned early on was that Mr Saunders was the HM of what would become the Stanley. Uh, can you give us a little more insight into, into what that's referring to? Ah, uh, yes. Um, I actually said Mr. Kempthorne. Mr. Kempthorne, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, yeah, some of our houses um, here at Wellington have had the same name ever since the school opened, um, namely the ones that were the original dormitories in the central buildings. Uh, but also during the 19th century, several teachers were allowed to build their own houses in the college grounds and take some students as paying guests. Um, and that was a way that the college could expand its number of students without having to build more dormitories. Uh, and one of those houses was what's now the Stanley. But to begin with, they were all just named Mr. So-and-so's house. So that would have been called Mr. Kempthorne's house for the first 20 or so years of its existence. And then another name when another housemaster took over and they weren't all given standardised names until 1914, which is when it became known as the Stanley. And hearing you talk about astronomy being taught as a subject, uh, I've, when I went through my education, it was, it was quite significantly later than when astronomy was a regular GCSE or O-level subject. Um, do you know of any other strange subjects that have been taught throughout Wellington history or any other uh, interesting societies, because I imagine an astronomy society is actually quite unique am among many schools, even today. Um, well, to answer the second part of that first, I know that there have been a lot of different societies over the years, um, and perhaps some of those might form the subject of future podcasts. Uh, certainly, I've done a lot of research into the history of the debating society, which is almost as old as the Natural Science Society. So I'd be happy to talk about that and also to see whether there were some more unusual ones over the years. And again, I'd have to go away and look further into unusual subjects, but I'm sure I can find something to, to bring back another time. Wonderful. Well, I'll look forward to that as ever. Caroline, thank you so much for all of your help with Out of the Archives. 